Uh, we are super lucky today to have two uh, guests of honor, um, both Greg and Eric, uh, which means that we are going to get to learn live uh, from their uh, presentation. Um, and they're also gonna be in the chat hanging out with all of you. Um, so if you've got a question, um, you can definitely shoot that over um, to Greg. Uh, we'll be manning the chat uh, to kind of really extend that learning and answer some kind of more detailed questions for you. So uh, without further ado, uh, we will jump right into it. Uh, Eric, if you can advance uh, to the next slide for me, that would be great. Thank you very much. Uh, so nice to see you all here. Um, I see some familiar names uh, in the attendees already. So um, welcome back uh, to folks who have hung out with us before in these conversations. Uh, I'm Georgina Donahue. I am the Director of Community for the Pragmatic Alumni Community. Uh, and if you're an alum, you know uh, that the PAC uh, for short uh, is where we hang out to really dig through real world use cases um, of pragmatic training and really just how to be the best uh, product manager, product marketing manager that you that you can be. Um, so really hands on, um, really tactical and actionable uh, peers helping peers uh, and really just creating a partnership for your extended learning journey. So I'm delighted uh, to have Eric Bond and Greg Wolf here with us today. Uh, they are partners in crime uh, when it comes to strategic marketing initiatives, and uh, they're also co-principals um, at a Colorado-based marketing agency called Astound. I'm especially excited to have them because they're PAC ambassadors, uh, which means that they have a special role in the community as thought leaders. And we've partnered with them to share their really hands-on, really tactical expertise with PAC members directly um, in the discussions that we have there. Uh, so really, really happy to kind of bring their knowledge to all of you today because I know that it is fantastic. Uh, so uh, today we're really here to show you how you can take the tools and the insights that product marketing managers really have at their fingertips uh, and translate them into powerful marketing messages that resonate with your market. Because we all know uh, that market problems um, and the perspective of your user and your buyer and your customer um, is the most important perspective, but it's so easy to forget um, and find ourselves kind of creeping into bad habits. So uh, without further ado, I will turn it right over to the experts, um, Greg and Eric, to share a little bit more about themselves. Cool. Well, uh, thanks so much, Georgina. Uh, we're, we're super excited to be here. And we love the pack. Uh, for those of you who hang out in the pack, Greg and I argue live via videotape in the pack every single month. So we're uh, that that's a ton of fun for us. So check that out. But today we're going to talk about profitable marketing content. Uh, Greg and I, as Georgina mentioned, are co-principals at a marketing agency here in the Denver, Colorado area, and these are things that we deal with all the time, customer or clients just really struggling with how to best express themselves in a way that's going to work for their audience. So our agenda today, if my slide will advance, Bueller, there we go. Um, we're gonna talk about just the context of the topic. We're gonna talk about how we uh, create an understanding with the people that we're 
uh, trying to talk to those folks that are critical to our marketing goals, making sure that we have a plan for actively cultivating that understanding and building insights. We're going to answer your questions about all of that. And then we're going to take some time at the end to talk about how we're going to put that, put it all together. And as mentioned, this is going to be an interactive session. And so there's going to be an exercise. We're going to want feedback. Should be hopefully a lot of fun. So first of all, we want to talk about um, making sure that everybody is on the same page when we talk about what we what we mean by the term profitable marketing content. That's obviously a really, really loaded term. It could mean a million different things to different people. And so we want to make sure that that um, uh, that we are all on the same page here in this here in this webinar. And so really what we're talking about are, are three things. We're going to define for the purposes of today, we're going to define uh, marketing, profitable marketing content as content that aligns with our business goals, um, that aligns with our marketplace and of course their objectives, and then aligns with that buying journey. And we're going to get um, a little bit into all of these topics as, as we go, but, but those are the things that really we want to focus on and we would ask you guys to focus on when you're looking at content in your organizations. So first of all, let's talk about, um, we're going to jump right into the first of those three topics and talk about the, the focus of the business as a whole. Um, we've got a four square, we've checked that box, it's now an official business presentation. And in each of these quadrants, we've sort of got different goals as, as an organization or, or whether that's organization, line of business, specific product, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we really wanna understand what our, what, what's our goal? What's our primary focus? How are we defining success as an organization when it comes to our marketing? And so that, and, and to bring it back to content, of course, when we're talking about say, something happening in this quadrant as being our primary goal as, as marketers at the moment versus this square on the quadrant, a lot of things change and how we talk to people changes. The questions that we ask them changes, um, the way that we try to get their attention changes. And so, so it's really important to have everybody on the same page about what you're trying to accomplish at a high level before you start writing stuff, before you um, really get into, everyone wants to, to, to jump straight into creative. Creative for a lot of us is the fun part where, where the rubber meets the road, we get results, we get, um, we get to, uh, to sell stuff, we get to talk to people and it's, and it's a ton of fun. But what we really need to do is make sure that we're not skipping any steps along the way, start engaging in any marketing activities, that we understand that those activities and that the things that we're saying within those activities are really aligned with, with where we're trying to head, either as a product team, as a marketing team, as a business team. And that, so it's meant to serve a purpose. Our favorite thing that we get whenever we put up these four squares and partly why four squares are such popular exercises is because they force 
uh, leadership and the people around you to prioritize what it is they're trying to accomplish. Because one of those, I'm sure we've all been in that meeting before where you have that like little dot that represents your logo or whatever it is. And you want to put it like right in the middle of all those lines. <laughs> You're just like, we're, we're doing all those things. We want to do all of the things, but, but, but truly you should choose there's there whenever you try to do everything at once you're you're bound to fail and especially with goals. yeah absolutely always have a secondary goal but really make sure that you understand what success is when you sit down and, and start working on your marketing so we know the business focus the next piece of the puzzle is making sure that we are getting inside of the right people's heads and speaking to them in a way that, that that's going to matter to them. Because really the, there's, there's this impulse as a marketer or as a product person where, where you just wanna share everything about your product. This is so great. It's amazing. It does this, it does this, it does this. No one's ever done that before. Have you ever seen that? And what, and that stuff is great, but we need to, to, to pull back on the reins on our impulse to do that. And we need to sort of flip the script because we need to, um, uh, one thing that Greg and I like to say a lot is that marketing is, um, is that effective marketing is, is more like looking out a window than, than looking into a mirror. We, we really want to make a connection with the people who are actually shopping us, who are buying from us, who are using our products, because those are the people whose opinions matter. And those are the people who are ultimately paying our checks. And so marketing is about them. It's not about us. And so we need to get inside of their heads. Anybody familiar with um, anyone who's taken foundations or market with Pragmatic um, has experienced the uh, has had exposure to to what personas are um, and essentially what a persona is for the uninitiated it's um it, it's basically a representation of a buyer a user an influencer somebody who's involved in the buying process based on a combination of market research and anecdotal observations that that you have made in speaking to them that have come back from your salespeople that are gleaned from customer service. And essentially what, what creating a persona does, and I liken them to, um, it, you know, it's a sheet of paper, but, but it's sort of like a baseball card. This is, this is a person and all of the stuff that, that matters to them and matters to you and trying to sell to them. What that does is it ensures that whenever you're working on your marketing, that you can have a customer in the room with you they're the most important person in the discussion and typically they're left out. So keeping in mind very quickly that there are a lot of different types of personas. We're not trying to put, um, to put sort of one ring around everybody and say, I have this product, this is the persona for it. Because typically there are going to be more than one. Um, we've got people who use products. We have people who are, um, whose role is to actually make purchasing decisions and products. We have folks who influence those decisions in a lot of ways. Like for example, in this B2B scenario where we've got, um, where we're talking about say logistics software, 
we've got influencers, say, in IT that are going to say, well, this needs to work with our infrastructure. We have these requirements. We need to make sure that this is compatible with this system. Um, that person isn't using the software. They're not making the purchasing decision, but they're very much an influencer. In the homework laptop example, in the B2C scenario, we've still got influencers. Influencers might be your child's teachers and the platform that they're using in school. Those things are going to be very influential in your purchase decision. And so every time we sit down to talk about personas, generally we're not talking about one pe person. We're talking about a group of people um, that, that serve different roles in the process. If uh, we put together a B2B example here, um, and, and uh, for those of you that are pragmatic alumni, um, you'll have access to Pragmatics Persona templates and all of their materials on this, which is extensive. But we, um, but here are a lot of things that we think that you should be thinking about. You know, and this is a B two B example. You can do this for for B two C or any other type of organization. But really, diving into what makes this person tick, what their goals are, what their pain points are why they might go in a different direction. And the one thing that we put in bold at the bottom um, that I just really wanna stress and get into your heads for everybody who's, who's doing B2B marketing here, how will this decision impact their career? Because at the end of the day, you know, yes, I'm doing something for my organization, but very often if I'm making a big purchase, my job may be on the line or my bonus may be on the line, or my promotion may be on the line. And so understanding what this, what this purchase means to the person that you're dealing with personally um, and how it's going to potentially enrich or impoverish them, that's really critically important. So be sure to be thinking about that. As These marketers, one of our primary roles that is unique to us is that we get to put this person in the room when business decisions are being made. So the more we can identify with this individual, the more we know who they are, what makes them tick, their motivations and security spheres, all of that stuff, then uh, the better we'll be able to represent them in the room when uh, business decisions are being made and especially when content is being created. Because uh, then it becomes a very easy practice to ask, do you see this resonating with this individual? Is this more about, is the thing that you're saying more about how you view it or is it more how this person views it? One of the hardest things, and now we go into the, the exercise itself, is uh, what would these individuals say about you, your brand, your, your, your line of business, whatever it happens to be that you manage are in, and are in charge of, what would they say at your funeral? Of, uh, if, your product or service were to go away tomorrow, what would be missed? What would people say? So, so we're going to do an exercise, and that was a great segue. What, I, what I'd what i like you to do, um, if you have a piece of paper handy, just take a piece of paper, fold it in thirds, or draw, um, or draw lines to make yourself three columns. And we're going to take um, a minute on each of these, but the first column, and I'm going to start the clock now. If, as Greg said, if your product or your company, whatever the, the relevant unit is, if that were to cease to exist and you were at the front of the room 
giving that eulogy at the funeral, what's the thing that you would miss most if, if your product ceased to exist? And we're gonna take a minute, write down your thoughts. If anybody's got any good ones, pop them in the chat and, and we'll be um, at the end, at the end end, we'll take, um, we'll probably take some feedback and volunteers, but time is ticking. We have a clock going. This is a really fun exercise for us to do. It, it forces people to prioritize. Uh, one of the things that came up in chat was from, uh, is it Yuval? Uh, and he had said, what would, or she, I'm not sure, what would get them the most excited about your product? Um, and this is kind of the inverse of that, which is what would people miss most? What would, what was that connection that they had that when taken away, we get that sense of loss. Because uh, the things that make us excited, a lot harder to discuss, but I think we have a little more um, practice, a little more comfort with saying what we might miss. Loss aversion is an extremely acute sensation. And it's, and it's harder to sell to in terms of excited. When you're talking about, well, what's going to excite them about my product? Um, you know, that's still, that's still the mirror perspective. You're, you're trying to um, sort of impugn your perspective on, um, on them in a way. And, and what we would encourage um, is for folks to say, no, what, what, what are they excited about in general and how does it relate to my product? What are the pains that they have and how, and, and do those tie to the thing that I'm trying to sell? Um, and so, um, speaking of which, column two, what would an end user, somebody that's using your product, somebody that is in there every day, whether it's a physical product, software product, um, whatever, what is, what is the thing that that end user, the last person in the chain is going to, to miss most and time is ticking. Are we having fun yet? I'm having fun. I like it. I'm having fun. Uh, quick question awesome. in the chat here for both of you guys is, um, is there a difference between answering these questions for B2B versus B2C products? This is my favorite thing. Eric and I get this a lot. So we're, we're pretty well versed in, and it's not just like uh, the B2B, B2C scenario. The biggest thing is everybody always feels like my thing that I do it's this unicorn, it's, it's special versus like the, the businesses of everybody else. Uh, the, from a marketing standpoint, the biggest difference is that we can surmise from a B2B versus a B2C is um, how quick those marketing processes take place. So with a B2B scenario, you will often have a much longer um, buyer and user journey. Uh, B2C, it's much shorter. And so a lot of the fundamentals stay the same. People will say that, what about like this in B2B? And I mean, talk to an accountant about how they feel about Excel and their macros. You know, like there's all these things that, that we have connections with, even when we're in a B2B scenario. And I think uh, a lot of times in B2B, we have this tendency to say that's consumer facing. 
like the emotional stuff, the things that people feel and are nice, like that's more B2C. But really like from a B2B standpoint, we just have a little bit less data and illumination because there's often real world-based scenarios that are very hard to measure digitally. And contra and and the flip of that is on B two C is is that B two B people think that if you're being too thoughtful, well that's B two C, and B two C people, you know, think that if you're being like you know deliberate and um, you know and getting into it, well that's just too B two B. It's it's um, these are these are universal practices. Really, the the buying criteria is different. The sales process is different. But the idea that there's something that really flips somebody's switch about using your product is universal. And then the final thing before we wrap up this exercise. Um, so what would a buyer, the person who is in charge of the actual purchasing decision, the, the, the person with the purse strings, what would they miss most if it no longer existed? So somebody put the product itself and so what do you mean by that with the product itself? What, what is it that they're gravitating towards? What are they saying in that eulogy about what they miss? Why was it important? Uh, what, what did they lose now? It's about taking it to that next step. The comfort and ease of use will be missed. Interesting. Future-proof component of their investment. I miss the comfort and quality of turning data into information. A lot of these are very, um, they're very tangible things. And I think this is another area where like the, the feelings, the emotions we have around products, that's like B2C, but B2B, it's more about practical things. Uh, I see that gravitating and that happening in that way. Our, our, um, our time is, is up. Margaret. Oh. Go ahead. Go ahead, Margaret. Oh, this is Margaret. And I put the product and you were asking about that. Um, people are, a lot of people are very brand specific about what they want. And they buy it because of either the quality of the product reputation of the product and all this other kind of stuff. So if that product didn't exist any longer, you would miss that product. So for example, most of the people on this phone are probably Apple users and the other group is Samsung users. So if Apple ceased to exist and you had to go over to Samsung to get a phone or an LG or whatever, you would miss that Apple product because that is who you're loyal to. I, so let's put this in the context of a, of a funeral. So I think that would be like saying, I miss this person. Um, but you have more to say at a eulogy. It's like, why do you miss this person? Right. What is it right. about right. this person that you're missing? And, and so with what you're describing, as uh, we have that, Eric's always wrong in our show together. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Um, but he is an Android user. I am an iPhone user. So we have the perfect uh, dichotomy among us today. Uh, I personally, I, I know there's a lot of feature rich elements of Android, but I would personally miss the, uh, the feeling of control that I have over my iPhone, that I would feel a sense of loss of control in going into an Android environment. 
I would miss and I would miss. Um, and I was thinking about this the other day because I'm in the middle of changing phone plans. But um, but the thing that I realized that I would miss is something that I wasn't even expecting. The thing that I would miss if I was no longer on a Samsung device, the thing that I would miss most is Samsung Pay because I tap to pay all the time and Samsung works on, um, on more credit card readers than anybody else. And so that's one where, um, where I was like, man, if, if that was me, I would miss Samsung. But just really quick, if we can get a couple of reactions from folks, did you learn anything from doing this? Anybody? You can answer in the screen. I would also miss the blue bubble of iMessage and the FaceTime. I, I know people who say that. And and they and they get and they get upset when 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 the color changes when it's what was it green if it's no good or blue if it's good because you can't react with your emojis to it it makes yeah it no I get to like respond otherwise you get you get it in parentheses but did um, did anybody learn anything from from doing this exercise. Okay. Well, fine. I learned that I don't know what a user or buyer would miss most about my products. Well, that honestly, that is the best we could do. Yes. And, and so, so there's two things. Number one, you've just exposed um, something important that you didn't know. Um, and, and we're going to tell you how to get at that. And the second piece is, is that, is that we really want to stress that everybody who's involved in this ecosystem that you guys are creating when you're when you're pulling together your products and your um, and you're marketing things and you're selling things and you're developing things, everybody is looking at it through a different lens, and understanding what people see through those lenses is supremely important. And so we're going to take a take a little bit of time and we're going to talk about specifically ways that you guys can can close those gaps if you have them between where you are now and, and really knowing what to look at when you're um, uh, when you're trying to develop content for these folks. So um, uh, all of you folks are probably if you've taken foundations, if you've taken any pragmatic course, you know that um, that the secret of life is Nahito, nothing important happens in the office. And the principle there is that is that in order to develop real understandings about what people need and what people are looking for when they're shopping for us, we need to actually leave our cozy environment and in times of COVID virtual environment. And we need to actually meet people where they are. Um, when you can go to people's offices, that's great. Hop on Zoom, um, hop on a phone call and actually sit down, talk to your customers, talk to, to, to the people who are shopping, talk to end users within um, uh, wherever you can, talk to people who are involved in, in the buying process in any significant way. And, and there are a lot of questions that you can ask. Clearly, you're going to have questions. But specifically for the purposes of our exercise today, um, uh, things that, that we would suggest that you ask, you know, how do you use our product in your organization or in your, or in your household? 
um, do the eulogy exercise with them. It's not just for you. It can be something that you use in, in, in just regular conversations. You know, what, what would you miss most if, if we could no longer serve you? Um, when you talk to other people within your household or within your organization and you're talking about our product, what are the things that you, that you say to them? What are the things that, that you talk about? And do you think that those are common elements between, um, uh, that there's a commonality between how people talk to you about it as you would talk to them? And really get a lot of perspectives and, and jot down the things that they say. Um, I would also recommend, especially if it's Zoom or something easy, record the phone calls because that's a really easy thing to do. And you're going to get just so much good stuff out of, out of that. And, and you're going to find that people actually say words that you want to use directly in your marketing. I'm going to flip it over to Greg now, and, and we're going to talk about an, another way to gather insights, um, which is by way of uh, search, I'm search engine optimization and website analytics. So one of the things I'm seeing a lot of people in the chat at least discuss is like not being their customer and not necessarily having that perspective. Uh, there's a lot of ways we could gather that perspective. Nihito is one of those ways, interviews where you ask the right questions, you do win loss. Uh, sometimes data could be quite revealing as well. Uh, we have cases like this really frequently with our clients. Uh, every business has their own industry insider terms that they like to use. And they have a really hard time getting over uh, the gap in meeting uh, potential customers, clients, users, whatever it happens to be, where they're at, and then gaining that opportunity to, to tell their story in their way. And that's the really important part of this uh, that we'd love to be able to imbue upon you today is that you have your business goals in one area and users are in another. And that really profitable content marketing comes from building the bridge between those two. And the way, one of the ways we could do this also exists within the data and the website use and the social media comments and all these other things that you see. Uh, Eric, if you could go to the next slide. So one of the people that had uh, businesses slash nonprofits that had come to us is um, in the Atlanta, greater Atlanta area. And there's this uh, thing that people are looking for when they want food versus the or thing- Or when they want to donate food. Or when they, especially when they want to donate food. Everybody loves to donate their uh, canned goods. They want to feel like they're helping each other. And it's become uh, an extremely pressing thing in this era, unfortunately. Um, but what people are looking for is they're, they're at these things where they either have a need or they want to be part of something that is bigger than themselves and provide a service. And there's these two areas. We have food banks and food pantries. Now, this particular uh, nonprofit, they were a food pantry and they were super set on referring to themselves as a food pantry, not a food bank, because these things are different. You're not a food bank. Yet, the vast majority of people with unbranded searches that were coming to their website were arriving by looking for food banks. 
Now, for them, when they, we had originally said this to them, they thought that was an issue. That's a problem. And for us, we're like, yes, that is a problem, but it's a problem you could fix. <laughs> like, that's actually a problem that is also a solution. It's your opportunity. Like, this is an opportunity that's in front of you. And you're saying, like, no, we're not a food bank. But really, it just means we could talk about food banks like crazy. And then suddenly, users will start to identify us with these things that they're wanting to do. And then we have that opportunity to tell their story, like our story. We, so I think that's like the big lesson to take away from this is that we have this ability to insulate ourselves in our businesses, in our industries, with the events that we're in and the people we surround ourselves with. But it's really easy to kind of crack that egg and get, get somewhere else, uh, see what the users are actually looking for, and then build bridges from where they're at to where your business is so they can help feed your goals. Um, but basically, if you don't meet them where they're at, you will never get their op that opportunity. And so all these times where we are discussing language and users and buyers and all this other stuff, really it's for us to get in their mindset, understand where they're at and how we can talk to them and then bring them closer to what we are able to do for them. And when people search, they're, they're, they're using language and we have, we have exposure to that by way of our Google Analytics, by way of our Google Webmaster tools and through other third-party um, search software that we, may, um, that we may be using. And we can see how they're talking about us and what they're looking for when, when they got to us or where, or where they, they went to and maybe we didn't land with them because we missed an opportunity. We've got vast amounts of data and, and understanding how folks talk is going to be um, really, really key for us. And, it, and it's a really easy way to, to take the data that our websites are gathering every single day and turn that into insights that can, that can make our marketing this is, better. This is just one final thing in this area. This is a B2B major issue. In B2C, there, you don't have as much of this because you're so used to having to meet consumers where they're at. But there's often these assumptions made in B2B categories that like, I could call myself this extremely niche thing. And, and then, you, then they wonder why they're not receiving traffic, why nobody's learning about them, or they're not increasing people's awareness that they exist. And it's often because they're unwilling to go and play in these other pools that people are already in and build those bridges. So like if I, if I am like a cloud access security broker, I get this acronym called a CASB and nobody's looking for that stuff. What they're looking for is like cloud security or something along those lines. And so that's the pool you end up having to play in regardless of whether you want to. And it's also one of these things where, where people get anxious to use their own brand names and their own terms and things like that. Well, we have a cloud security service that we call whatever, and so we want to, to to put that front and center. But of course, until you're a brand name, nobody knows what that is, and so they're looking for something. And generally, what 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 people are looking for is using generic language, whether where you're using really specific language, and and you're missing each other. And so, if you want to communicate effectively, just a good rule of thumb: you need a common language between yourselves and the people that you're trying to talk to. And so we, we've, we've done our Nahito work. We've looked at our 
Um, we've gathered information from our web analytics, from search, from other sources that we have, perhaps other research. We think we have some ideas as to what's important. So let's do a confidence check. How confident are we that we've figured out what we need to in order to create good messaging? Um, and it's okay if you're not there. What we would suggest at that point is do a survey. Um, SurveyMonkey is cheap. It's, um, there are other survey tools that are, that are cheap, easy. Um, and it's a really great way to just validate something that you're trying to, to hash out. We heard over and over again that this is important to customers, but you know what? That came out in about three interviews. Maybe that doesn't reflect the marketplace as a whole. So let's put something onto the marketplace. Let's get, um, see if we can get a few hundred responses and, and find out if in fact that is a trend that we can measure that this is something that's really important and something that we should be talking about. These so, exercises and validation are extremely important because it's what gets you out of the firing range. You know, when you get to validate these ideas, you could say, you know what, it was actually 150 people that said this. So you're not saying it. This isn't your presupposition. Right. This is instead what the marketplace has said. And now you're letting everybody else kind of stand in the heat. Because if they're trying to go against anything that was validated through survey, then that means they're having to exert some serious influence and power over uh, the masses. And so what we just, and we would definitely say, and, and just all of this stuff that we're telling you to do takes time. Some of it takes money, takes energy, takes resources, but you know what? It's all cheaper than just skipping to the end, running ads and, and finding out that they don't work. So before we go into, we're gonna talk about how we actually translate stuff from this, this, this idea idea phase into things that we can actually use. But before we do that, any questions? I think we've got a couple of minutes that we can take a, just a few quick questions before we move on to the next stuff. So the first one we have in here that I can see is um, recommendations for using that common language while also differentiating yourself. Um, so a lot of the vendors uh, in Mora's space, um, they all speak the same kind of language on their messaging points. So how do you use common language that your customers are going to identify with without getting lost in the crowd? Um, so I, I would say one thing is, um, and I don't know the industry or the product or anything like that, but just because everybody in the industry says similar things, that doesn't mean that any that that everybody is is doing that from the customer's perspective. Um, even just even just taking that that market focused approach could be the differentiation. Um, you can also differentiate with language. But the but the thing is is that the one thing that I would say kind of as the overarching theme is that you can always you can always build a conversation you can't get a whole conversation and everything that's important into a headline and so the really important thing in trying to get somebody to come with you on a sales process 
is you've got to be able to actually start the conversation and do that in a really clean way. Once the conversation is happening, it can evolve in a lot of different ways. But, but if you meet them where you are, you can, you can gradually get them further to your side. It's not that we always have to stay there, but we have to start the conversation and we have to, to, to begin somewhere. Yeah, Anything to add, Mr. Bond? Well, I, I basically said the same thing in the chat in a very short sentence. <laughs> I think this is a really interesting area. I could see the, the contentions that lie in people's positions. Uh, we also got a question from uh, Manish, or Manish. Also, how important, good, bad, is it to use buzzwords that lost their meanings, like, like agile, cloud-ready, et cetera? These are honestly wastes of space and time. <laughs> like, there are things that your superiors often like to see. They like to make sure you include everything. It's like, we wanna make sure they know we're this, we, they know we're this. And you often see these extremely bloated, uh, it, this is where it gets the worst for my job, is in a site map. So you have a top menu navigation for a website and it's just daunting. Nobody wants to browse that. And like nine out of 10 people end up just going to your about page they'll never click industries. <laughs> and that's where you do a lot of your stuff. You're putting your case studies in your industries, you're, you're talking, but like they just wanna see who you are. And so that's the really big thing we try to emphasize with people is that part of this is, is defining your personality relative to what you know about users and what they're attracted to. You just have to let people know who you are. And that's what nine times out of 10 gets you the ability to have that conversation. Like it's not what somebody's one-liner is. Like that's basically in business what we're constantly focused on. It's not somebody's one-liner, it's their demeanor, it's their aura, it's how they go about communicating with people that makes them comfortable. It's the voice. So instead, stop focusing on saying everything in a one-liner because that's like, should have stopped in high school, but it's what businesses keep doing. And instead focus on like making that connection with the user so that they're willing to listen to you and you're willing to listen to them. Show them that you're listening to them. That's all I got. Do we have time for one more? I think so. Uh, I think we have one more in here. Um, and I saw one about um, when you were mentioning a survey, uh, do you have any kind of quick tips about what types of questions to recommend? Really tactical questions, more emotionally based questions. Um, what are maybe an example of one question you find that works really well? So in, a, in an ideal scenario, I'm sorry to interrupt, Eric. I, I, no, I, I was, I, I, I was, I was hoping. They're like my favorite thing. I love to, to jump into the data of surveys and slice and dice it in a million different ways. We actually had a client recently who uh, their primary target market, their name is Karen. Like Karen answered their survey more than anybody else out of like the 7,000 people who had submitted uh, survey responses, which was awesome. And then it turned out Karen was super nice. Super nice, glowing review. Un uncharacteristically nice. Super not, super not the cliche and stereotype. And, and so that's why I love it. I love to find out these counterintuitive things or also just shed light on. And so when it comes to matters of like, what is the best way to conduct a survey? The best way to conduct them is in line. So if somebody's leaving, 
that's why you get these surveys, uh, the exit surveys in line. And an app, like you can have one question surveys that happen as some uh, users flowing through the app, maybe they hit a certain point or a feature, and that's what cues a question. Inline is, is the best way to do surveys. Um, and then surveys provide an additional benefit beyond data mining, if, especially if they're inline. Like you could do NPS surveys at, uh, throughout like any moment, pretty much. And uh, based on those results, you can also ask people to review you. You know, like you could basically say like, oh, I just got a 10 out of 10 on that. Hey, how about you connect with us on Facebook and Google reviews and, and write something. So there's this added benefit beyond just your data mining. Um, and so I would think of like that. How do we make this survey to our advantage in a way that's frictionless for users and it makes it super easy for them in a way that they're like, they, they have an obvious answer. That's the best way to go about it. The rest of the stuff sh should be done in interviews where you're trying to figure out like what is or isn't obvious. And then the survey is met for validation. So keep those yeah. two things. Like if you have something that's ambiguous, interview around it until yeah. you have like a clear idea of what you want to ask. And when you're and when you're you're looking at um, at doing a survey and you're trying to validate the idea that X is really important to our to our customer, throw that throw that specifically in a question is um, would you say that this is the most important thing um, or a critically important thing when you're um, when you're shopping? Um, here are here are five things that, that, that we found are important to folks, rank them. Um, rank choice questions are, are, can be very valuable when you use them well. And it, it's just a thing where literally if there's something that you wanna know um, and it can be, and it's, and it's easier to, and it's something that's measurable, just put it out in a survey. It's, it, it's a really easy, easy thing to do I think perfect is the enemy of, of good in a lot of ways with surveys. Yes, so like, absolutely. it's more important to get stuff out there and to learn as you go than it is to not and trying to make it because you haven't done surveying, like to make that one that you do really, really good. Instead, just make it a practice. So moving forward, um, here's a tool that we have created. And all of the, the, the tools and things uh, wasn't mentioned, but everybody who signed up for this is going to get an email afterwards with a download of all of the tools and, um, uh, and templates that we went through. So, so don't, don't feel compelled like, oh, I got to take a screenshot or whatever right this second. Um, you'll get a copy of this. But essentially, this is a tool that we use for, for organizing um, for organizing messages so that we have broken out exactly what we're trying to say to who. And so in the first column, write down the persona that you're addressing. Perhaps it's Karen. Um, in the second, we have what we call the main theme. And the main theme is essentially the, the, that thing that we found in our research that really makes them tick. Their, their number one problem, their number one pain, their number one need. Um, uh, perhaps it's, it's that thing that, that you know, what, what would you miss most? What would Karen miss most if our service ceased to be tomorrow? And so just put that there 
let it frame everything else that you do and write a headline. If you were, if you were trying to grab Karen's attention with a headline that addressed that, that theme, what would that be? Right, what we call an elevator pitch, and that's a concept that I'm sure that you guys are familiar with, but, but start, you know, you start with that, that headline, expand it out to, um, to a short paragraph, two to three sentences underneath it. What would that look like? And then when we talk about keywords, we're not talking necessarily about search keywords or things that people are looking for on Google or that you might buy AdWords against, but really more um, uh, words that we want to make sure that we use when we're talking to a customer. And so, for example, in the example that Greg gave a few minutes ago, um, using making sure that that food bank is on that list of words that we want to use when we're talking to people, that's, that's a critical thing because that's something that they know and that's something that we can use to build a bridge to them. And so making sure that we're reminded of all of these words. And essentially, you just build this out and you've got a tool that you can use whenever you're writing something, an ad campaign, whenever you're training your sales team, whenever you're about to, um, if you're if you're in your role, if you go to sales meetings and you're and you're in a role where you might actually talk to a customer, you know, reminding yourself to use um, to use external language instead of instead of internal language, it's a really good tool to start doing that and breaking down what we say to who and why. The next thing that I'm going to show you, whoops. is what we call a tactics worksheet. And so we've, we've, we've talked about how we're going to meet the market where they are, but now let's talk about how we can do things that will fit into that buying process. And so we've got a persona, we've got Karen and, um, and we've got her main theme. And so how can we reach Karen? Um, is, is Karen a Facebook user? Um, will Karen take an email from us? Is Karen the sort of person that is, uh, that is inclined to attend a webinar if it responds to, to her main problem? And in terms of delivering those things, what are the pieces that we're missing? If we're, you know, in, in the example of say a webinar, do we have a platform and a means of registering people like our friends at Pragmatic do so clearly? Do we have, um, do we have the right creative? Do we have the right assets? And so when we're, when we're talking about actually doing stuff that's ultimately going to be executed and it's ultimately going to be turned into real things, let's always make sure that we identify anything that we're missing in that process or anything that we are concerned about as failure points, go ahead and document them so that you can talk about them. What we don't wanna have happen is for people to go idea crazy and for internal folks to fall in love with ideas that simply can't be executed or executed well for whatever reason. Um, and so you're gonna get a copy of this template as well. The um, 
and then what what we would suggest is the way that this all, all sort of comes together is you know you take you you take your 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 persona you take their um you take their their main theme and and in this case we've got a cfo and the thing that that makes her tick right now is that she really wants to go paperless and so great um joe the cfo wants to be paperless she's got this need and so let's let's build a campaign around that need and let's build tools that interface with her at the at the right points in the sales process and let's build a plan of, around that let's not talk to everybody at once let's not try to be everything to everybody let's look at that person that is using our product or that is buying our product and let's make sure that we're taking what they need putting it right smack in the middle of everything that we're doing and building the campaign around it with the right media and the right um, and the right messages and if if and if we've done our work at the start of this we've we've started this process at an advantage because we already know what's what's more likely you know we don't have to throw a dart at the wall and see and see if it sticks we know what's important to this person and so we can tailor our messages around that and start further ahead in the process. And speaking of, I just went through this process with the business. I have my own case. I, I was the user just recently. I did a refi uh, and I, my mortgage was transferred to Mr. Cooper, a mortgage company I had never heard of. Uh, they have a nice app, decent interface. I got an email, a piece of, uh, a piece of direct mail. I had, um, when I signed on to my account and created my account in the dashboard, and it had a landing page all around the paperless element that had a very clickable button and told me why it was important, how it helped. And then basically clicking it gave you that like terms and conditions. And then that was it that turned it off. It was like in line. And I think that's the big thing that um, is different with a lot of marketing and businesses. It's often tacked on. And so you have all the other things that the business cares about happen. And then the marketing is just added into the mix later after the fact. And so I think the way, if we were to have any arguments around how content is supposed to build the best bridges, it does it in a seamless, uh, very user-centric way. For the record, if we were to have any arguments, I would win. But if, um, but what what should we do first? If, and, and Greg, uh, you, you I'll let you give your answer too, but but my the thing that I would do first, if I'm looking at creating content for um, for folks that are that are either um, using a product or service or buying a product or service, the thing that I would start with is trying to figure out what those main themes are, um, figuring out. Um, uh validating those taking the ideas that i have as to what's most important validating with the market doing my nahito calls doing a survey if i need one but really figuring out what those main themes are because everything else is going to basically grow out of that like like branches from a tree and it's the way you get buy-in i mean i i agree with that you have to start with the um research the areas that you can support and make objective uh, 
and then um, like informing everybody. The one thing that we we do as an agency and that every marketer really is responsible for that I think uh, is is kind of not thought about much is how important it is to market to our own coworkers. And the best way to do that is by educating them. But you have to provide really good tools to support your education. And nine times out of 10, when everybody's working with the same set of information, they'll have a lot more agreement. I think a lot of times people avoid going down these roads because they anticipate the, the conflict and disagreements that might come from it. And really, uh, you, have to, you have to give people the opportunity to do the right things and to make the right decisions. And the way you could do that is by empowering them with the best sets of information you can possibly build. So I know that we're running out of time. Um, these are our actual working email addresses. Um, please, you, you are free to use them, but, but, but no spam, please use them wisely or we'll take your privileges away. Uh, and then the other thing where uh, I already mentioned, we're gonna be, uh, Georgina and, and the folks at Pragmatic are gonna be getting you guys a PDF with a few of the things that we went through today. So you can use them in, in your own businesses. We also have, if you're looking to figure out sort of what your process really looks like for marketing and where your gaps are, uh, we've got this free and easy tool on our website. It's just astound.com, uh, E-S-T-O-U-N-D.com slash diagnostic. And you're gonna get a, a whole report breaking down the different stages of the process and where you're falling short and what you can be doing better. So please feel free to, to check that out as well. And it's 1228, we're right under the wire. Turn the floor back over. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Eric and Greg. That was awesome. Lots of really um, excited feedback in the chat here. Uh, and we're, you know, always delighted to talk to you and get to learn from you. Um, as uh, I mentioned before, uh, Eric and Greg are ambassadors in the pack. So if you're a Pragmatic alumni and you want to come hang out with us, uh, you can send an email to community at pragmaticinstitute.com. We'll get you hooked up. Uh, also, if you didn't know, uh, I'm so, so excited about this. Uh, we have a new course uh, at Pragmatic. So it's the first time in quite a while that we've introduced a new course in the product track. Um, so this is really the product manager's guide to design. Uh, demystifying what design is and how you can use its capabilities, building really strong partnerships uh, with your design team um, for exceptional products and really just, um, you know, cross-functional innovation uh, that we all love. And then if you'll pop to the next slide for me, uh, we have another uh, product chat coming up in two weeks. Uh, this one's near and dear to my heart uh, because it's about the intersection between product and community, um, which I just can't get enough of. Uh, so we'll be joined by Faiza Mohammed, uh, who is a community consultant. She's worked with Facebook, Bumble, Peanut, um, and is going to be chatting about how you can leverage your uh, internal communities or external communities uh, to have a really exceptional product. So I hope that you join us next time. 